Acts 13, 13 to 52, we have a longer portion of scripture this morning, but verses, verses 13 through 41 provide a great example of the gospel message, right? The message that Paul shares with these people in Pisidian Antioch is a great example of how to share the gospel. So we're going to go through the whole portion, and I'll make some comments as I read. And Paul's entire speech, Paul's entire speech here is based on the history of the children of Israel as recorded in the Old Testament. So he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures when he's speaking. But I, I want you to pay attention, however, to how many times he references some specific scriptures. He says the second psalm, or he'll quote a scripture, and he's fully expecting that people who are listening to him will understand what he's talking about. Right? And he references those specific scriptures to emphasize his narrative. And so the topic for our consideration this morning is the supremacy of the word of God. So let's start to read in verse 13. From Paphos, which is in Cyprus, in that island of Cyprus, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia where John, Mark, left them to return to Jerusalem. And I want you to note this departure since it will play a very significant role in the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. But here it's just a very matter-of-fact statement. John, Mark, who we talked about and read about last week, he leaves them. Right? From Perga... They went on to Pisidian Antioch. And as I pointed out last week, Antioch is a somewhat common name for cities in this area. And this Pisidian Antioch is different from the Syrian Antioch that Paul and Barnabas were from. That's where they were ministering. That's where the Holy Spirit asked to set them apart. Remember the missionary call? That's where they came out of. So they come out of Syrian Antioch and they're now in the Pisidian Antioch, right? On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. So he's speaking to Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, 
Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God has promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. That's from Psalm 2 verse 7. God raised him up from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. That's from Isaiah chapter 55 verse 3. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. That's in Psalm 16 verse 10. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. That's coming from Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 5. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And that comes from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples 
We're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Every week as we study the text, as we are in the text, we also want to pay attention as applicable to what's going on behind the text and then how it applies to us as we stand in front of the text, as we use that text, as we use the Word of God as a mirror, as the very way in which we would examine ourselves in light of the Word of God. So, in the text, behind the text, in front of the text. But here's a little background information from the NIV application commentary regarding just verse 14. And that verse says, From Purga they went on to Pisidian Antioch. So the map on the screen shows you the route of Paul's first missionary journey. So you can see, uh, me, I should be pointing this way. You can see where from Syria, from Antioch in Syria, they journeyed into Cyprus and then all the way up into Pamphylia. Perga is, is right there near the coast, and then from there they go up to Pisidian Antioch, so all the way up there. And then the other arrows are showing how then they journeyed back and then returned to Antioch in Syria. Here's the thing that I want you to note. From Perga, Paul and Barnabas travel inland and northward to these higher altitudes to minister in the cities of South Galatia, that southern region of Galatia they most probably took what was the Roman highway, it was called the Via Sebastia, from Perga to Antioch. It's not an easy journey, and you're going through all sorts of tough terrain and things like that, but there's a road and so on, so they, they traveled up there. And Antioch of Pisidia was an important civil and military center of the Romans. So this is about 3,600 feet above sea level, all these hills and so on. And it is a very important city for the Romans. But it's very interesting that the Gentiles in this city, in verse 48 we read that the Gentiles received Paul's word with gladness. The receptivity, the, the fact that the Gentiles were receiving the word of God, this is pretty remarkable because Antioch was very strong in what is called imperial cult worship which means that they would worship the emperor, right? So this is a very, the, the public worship of the emperor, this was very strong in Antioch. So the fact that in that city, there were people who were God-fearing, who had been affected by the truth that was the, of the true and living God, and were willing to receive what Paul was saying to them, this is quite remarkable. There was a temple of Augustus, Augustus Caesar, in the center of the city, one of the most prominent buildings, and the cult of imperial cult worship dominated the city's daily life and the annual calendar. The city belongs or is part of that Galatia, the region of Galatia, but it was near Pisidia, and that's why it's got its name, Pisidian Antioch, and there was another Antioch in that area too. But one of the interesting things that we know from history is that one of the wealthiest business families of Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, was the family of Sergius Paulus, the proconsul of Cyprus. So we just read about how they came to the island of Cyprus and you know, dealt with the sorcerer Elemis, and then they 
where it's speaking the word, and that the proconsul there, Sergius Paulus, was so amazed at the teaching of the word of God that he believes, that he accepts the Lord Jesus. It is his family that's here in this portion of this land, this area, right? And so what, what most archaeologists or what most Bible archaeologists and others are speaking about or what they think, it is not surprising that there is this connection now to Antioch uh, in Pisidia. And, we, and their, their statement is that the proconsul himself had probably suggested to Paul that he make Antioch his next port of call and would have provided letters of introduction or letters of passage for him to make his way there. So that's probably why he comes to this area. Now, um, this area is Galatia. And that should be familiar because there is a book in the Bible called Galatians, which is Paul's letter to the people who live in this area. And he writes that letter a few months after he makes this missionary journey. I'm going to get to that in just a second about what he is doing and why he's doing that. But just to keep all that in context. So we're going behind the text to understand all of that. Now, when Paul addresses the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in the synagogue, his aim is to show how God's activity in history, especially or specifically through the children of Israel, climaxed in the coming of Jesus. Right? And following the exposition of the Christ event is an offer of the forgiveness of sin, what he describes in verse 38, and justification, that we are justified in Christ. That's in verse 39. And verse 39, that contains these ideas, these themes that are typical of Paul's epistles, Paul's letters of the, that are typical of the rest of the word of the Lord here. He's talking about belief, justification, and the inability to be justified by the law of Moses. He says the law of Moses couldn't justify us. It pointed us to Christ. The Old Testament, the scriptures were bringing us to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this, but now we have justification in Christ. And so Paul is addressing Galatians, the Galatians here, and you will find that he keeps referring to these ideas in his epistle to the Galatians, which is written a few months later. Right? Now, as I was preparing for this message, I just went back and read the whole epistle of Galatians. Six chapters, you can, not that long, you can read it through quickly. And what I encourage you to do as I was mentioning before, you look at a harmony of the life or the ministry of Paul and the epistles. So you have these missionary journeys and these accounts that are in the book of Acts. But as he's going through these places, read the epistle that sort of is connected to that place. Or read in the other scriptures what the reference is to what he's doing here. And in the book of Galatians, he refers to the fact that he says, I first came to know or to meet you because of an illness. And it's not very clear what exactly happened. There's some speculation as to why he was sick or why he, the illness brought him there and so on. And there's speculation that the higher altitude was better for him. or so. It doesn't matter. The point is that as you read these things, it, it, it helps you to get a fuller picture of the people, the times, the events, the places. These are real things. It's not a myth. It's not a story. You can go to modern-day Turkey today and see these places. You can see the ruins of Pisidian Antioch. You see these places and you say, you know, this is where this happened. And this is where these men of God were willing to give everything for the sake of the gospel. So, 
I encourage you to read Galatians in light of Acts 13. But you will notice when you read Galatians, here's how Paul begins his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So the, what we just read in Acts chapter 13, what the message that he has given, how God has worked through history, the coming of Jesus, the dying for, for our sins, the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he has justified us. That gospel message, he says, if somebody comes along and tells you something different, don't even believe it. Even if we come back and tell you something different, don't believe it. Right? He says, and so as, as we already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you ex accepted, let them be under God's curse. How do you accept God's gospel, God's truth, God's message? It's because the Holy Spirit is working in you so that you may even receive this gospel. And when that has happened, do not be confused, do not be misled, stay to that gospel that you are hearing. And so then he says in Galatians, and I now, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please God? Remember, we looked at this verse in the previous week. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is the authenticity of the gospel that we have. We're standing here today, we're paying attention to the word of God today because Paul and these missionaries and Paul and the people of the churches that were established in these areas continued to hold to that simple gospel message. Last week, we considered the missionary call by learning that missionaries are sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, all of us are missionaries, right? We are ordinary Christians that are on a mission and we live a missional life. We are, missionaries are sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Missionaries obey the Holy Spirit and that they are ordinary Christians who accomplish ex extraordinary things because they obey the Holy Spirit. And what are they obeying the Holy Spirit to do? To take the gospel message to those who have not heard it. That's the simple thing. We take the gospel message to those who have not heard it. And we say, this is what Jesus has done. This week, there's only one main point that I want to make in light of what we've been studying, the details of the missionary call, and the Acts 13 record of Paul's ministry in Galatia. And that point is this. The word of God is most important for a missional life. The Word of God has to be supreme in our lives. The Word of God is what's most important. The supremacy of the Word of God, and, I, and I'm using the phrase Word of God and the Gospel interchangeably because you'll notice that that's what Paul and the others do too. They, they refer to the Gospel, they refer to the Word of God interchangeably. And so that's what I'm doing. But when I speak about the supremacy of the Word of God, the primacy, 
the importance of the content of the gospel to evangelism and to fulfill the missionary call, you will notice that this is how Luke describes the response to the gospel in Acts 13. He says in verse 44, the people gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Paul is speaking the gospel message, but Luke is describing it as the people gathered to hear the word of the Lord. In verse 48, he says, those who accepted the word honored the word of the Lord. In verse 49, he says, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Clearly, the word of the Lord, God's truth revealed to humanity, was a primary aspect of the evangelistic process, of the missionary call, of living a missional life. The Gentile converts in Antioch did not view Christianity just in terms of Paul or Barnabas or any individuals. They, I mean, they were taken, they were paying attention, they were receiving this word that is communicated through Paul and Barnabas as if it is coming from God. And so their connection, their relationship to God and to his word is primary. If that were not the case, if that was not their attitude, when Paul and Barnabas were persecuted and driven out, when they shake the dust off their feet and they leave from that place, boy, these Christians would have been really upset. right? They could have been devastated. They could have said, oh, what are we going to do now? Instead, the Bible says that they were full of joy and they were full of the Holy Spirit because their dependence was not on Paul and Barnabas. They receive the word of God. The word of God starts to take root in them. The word of God starts to grow in them. The word of God is what they're applying. And they go, Paul and Barnabas, you've got to leave. All right, see you guys. You know, here we are with the word of God and with the Holy Spirit. Right? So that's why when Paul later writes to correct them in Galatians, in the epistle of uh, Galatians, he appeals to the gospel that he has received from God and communicated to them. You know, and, and in Galatians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, We did not give in to false believers for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. He's not saying so that you'll do what I say. He's not saying so that you'll listen to me. He's saying we did all of this so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. That's what's going to last. That's what's going to give you life. That's what you need to hold on to. Again and again and again, there's a clear message. Stick to the word of the Lord. Don't run after anything else. Stick to that simple and straightforward gospel message that's laid out for us throughout the scriptures and here again reiterated in Acts chapter 13. And share that simple gospel message with others. That's it. So, in our relationship seminar yesterday and in our upcoming youth, young adult meeting, or when we talk about money management or any other topics that we discuss. We're talking about worldviews, social issues, culture, behavior, uh, politics may come in. You know? We're talking about behaviors that we exhibit, others exhibit, how should we deal with people, you know, all these kinds of things. But underlying all of those things, every, underlying every discussion has to be the gospel. We have to keep returning to the core message. We have to keep returning to the gospel message. Now, some of you may have heard this statistic 
that between 70 to 88% of Christian teens are leaving the church by their second year in college. You heard this? Some of you heard? Oh, lots of nods. Everybody? You know, yeah. right. you know, some of you, maybe you're hearing it for the first time, but this has been repeated for a long time. I mean, since, since even the late 90s, you, you started to hear this, and it's been you know, widely uh, quoted. 70 to 88% of Christian teens are leaving the church by their second year in college. Another very alarming study concluded that church-reared youth start disappearing in high numbers in their junior and senior years of high school. The dropout rate accelerates further after teens graduate. And one of the reasons that is cited for why there's this decline of youth and young adult is because of the broken model of youth and young adult ministry. Isn't that a great headline for the week that we are starting our youth and young adult ministry? Uh, hey, we're starting youth and young adult ministry. Well, uh, you know, this past week, I had to analyze this particular statistic as part of one of my classes. Uh, and so we were going through a whole dissertation and whole different analysis and explanations and research and everything else about this specific statistic. It turns out that the 70% to 88% statistic, as anecdotally real as it sounds, by the way, and, and you, you know, you know, you know at least four, five, six people, young people who dropped out Right? And you know anecdotally this must be true. This statistic must be true. Turns out that the statistic was based on a gut feel informal poll that was done of youth pastors. It was not based on any real research as such. It wasn't validated. There wasn't a whole bunch of data that went behind it. They didn't go through the entire nation and ask who is dropping out and what's happening. There was an informal poll that was done of youth pastors, and you know, it's almost like how we prepare for our you know, meals. How many people are coming? Uh, show of hands, uh, 10, 12, 20. Okay, great. You know, that's, that's how this number came up. But it got reported and then perpetuated and then continued to be spoken of as if it was fact. And guess what? We have done this not just with this statistic, but with a lot of other things. A lot of other things that are going on in the world, we take some estimate, some statement, something else, and then we generalize it and apply it to the entire population. Oh, you know, the nation's going really bad because, or this is have all, you know. And there's a gentleman named Christian Smith who wrote a book that's entitled. Evangelicals Behaving Badly with Statistics. I think that's a great title. His book is entitled Evangelicals Behaving Badly with Statistics. And he wrote, the deeper question is whether American evangelicals can learn to live without the alarmism that is so comfortably familiar to them. Evangelicals, by my observation, thrive on fear of impending catastrophe accelerating decay, apocalyptic crisis that demand immediate attention and maybe money. 
All of that can be energizing and mobilizing. Ah, oh, gotta take action. The problem is, it also often distorts, misrepresents, or falsifies what actually happens to be true about reality. And to sacrifice what is actually true for the sake of immediate action and attention is plain wrong. It should be redefined as a very unevangelical thing to do. Because the call for us as missionaries, as evangelists, as those that would take forward the gospel of peace, is not to be alarmed about any of this. It's to continue to do what the Lord has asked us to do. Are there young people leaving the church? Sure. Just as there are old people leaving the church. The more important question for us is, what keeps anyone in a church? Why should anyone stay? It has to be the declaration of the Word of God, the equipping and empowering to apply the Word of God, all that we would do together, and the fellowship, the fellowship of the community of believers that encourages each other to persevere in living according to the Word of God. We need to hear the Word of God. We need to live by the Word of God. But we need to be in a local church that will help us, encourage us, stand with us, pray with us, to keep going, to persevere in the application of the Word of God. That's what we're called to. Don't worry about all these other things. Again, I'm not at all saying to you that we don't get active in the things that, need to get, that we need to get active in. But if that's your primary focus, it will distract you from what the Lord has called us to. As I was mentioning, even when the missionaries come, you know, in the last week, their message was not, look at what, listen to me, look at what I am doing, and see these signs and wonders, and oh, by the way, here's the gospel. Their message was, here's the gospel. This is the truth. This is what you need to pay attention to. This is what will transform your life. And oh, by the way, here are all these other things. Right? So we come to the Lord and we say, Lord God, I want to stay true to the core, to what is truly important. You know, when the Protestant Reformation took place in the 16th century, one of the rallying cries of Martin Luther and others was, Sola Scriptura, which means according to Scripture alone. Their push was for every believer to study and to live by the Scripture. Not just what you heard from somebody else, including from this pulpit. It's not just about that. It's for you personally, everyone that's listening, that you would study and live by the Word of God. When Gutenberg invented the moving type printing process, you know, this was a huge revolution and part of that whole you know, Asher Renaissance and everything else. The first book he printed was the Bible so that it could be more widely available. Even before the Reformation period, in the 14th century, Wycliffe translated the Latin Bible into English based on his belief that studying the Bible was more important than listening to it read by the clergy. 
And by the way, we're going to continue to read the Word of God here. You know, so on Sunday mornings when you come, we'll read the Scripture and do that. But don't let that be the only time that you listen to the Word of God. What I'm trying to emphasize with you is this. We are called to be people of the book. We're called to be people that in all that we're doing, in everything that we're living out, we would live by the Word of God. And in the things that we've been learning from the Word of God in the past years, and even as we continue to study and apply the Word of God in the coming years, our desire is that as a church, the Word of God is supreme in our lives. Word of God is supreme in our lives. And so that brings us to this point of application or response, really. And I want to say to you, that we want to respond by committing to study and apply the Word of God. When somebody preaches, do you know whether they're, what they're saying is from the Word of God? Do you know whether what they're saying is connected to something else or how it's connected to another truth that you have understood or learned? If you don't, go study it. There are so many resources available. There's no reason for us not to know the Word of God. You can spend, you can spend no money or you can spend $10,000. Literally, you can spend no money or you can spend $10,000 just to get resources to study. And don't let that go. Respond. Make a commitment to say, Lord, I'm going to study your Word. I'm going to live by your Word. I'm going to apply your Word. I'm going to do what's necessary for this word to get into me. That's what these men were emphasizing. And throughout the rest of the book of Acts, you will see repeated things like this, right? Where they keep speaking the word of God. They, they keep saying, we're not anything. They, they, you know, we're coming into that in the next chapter, in fact, or in verse, you know, very quickly here. Paul and Barnabas, and they're saying, we're not the ones that you need to pay attention to. Pay attention to the word of God. And you imitate me only in as much as I'm imitating Christ to live by the word of God, to live according to this word in us. And so, even as we respond in these ways, and we say, Lord, we respond by committing to study and apply the word of God, we apply, and this is the challenge that I have for you this week, make one change that will get you more into the word of God. This week, think about it, pray about it, and see what you can do that will do one, make one change that will get you more into the Word of God. Maybe it is to spend some time. And by the way, this is not restricted to any age. As, as quickly as, you know, as quickly as you're a toddler, you could start getting into the Word of God. You know, it, it really isn't based on an age. You could get into the Word of God no matter how old you are, and you just start to read it to learn it, to pray through it, to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to you, and you start doing that. But this week, my challenge to you is, think of one thing that you can do. Think of one thing. Maybe you're a reader. You prefer to read. So maybe you need to set apart some time. And you say, okay, I'm just going to set apart 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it may be. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just set apart that time, systematically, regularly, and I'm going to read the Word of God. And when you first start, you may not do anything more than that. 
And then as the Lord leads you and guides you and directs you, you may be able to gain more insight and pray through that scripture and ask the Lord for this and look up information and all that, all that may come. But it may be just one small change to spend a little bit more time just reading the Word of God. I know some folks have been using the Bible plan, the reading plan, the annual, you know, read the Bible in a year plan. Great, wonderful. Praise God. Now, and I applaud you for staying with it, staying consistent with it. That's not easy to read that many chapters in a day and to keep you know, with that every single day. Some reading plans are like just on weekdays so that you can catch up on the weekend if you miss something. Some reading plans go every day and it's tough. It's tough to keep up. Don't be, don't, don't, no judgment. If you start on something like that, but you don't keep up with it, that's fine. See what you can do. What needs to be adjusted? But what I'm saying to you is take a practical step. Do something. And if you are driving around and you've got plenty of time where you can't actually be reading, but you could be listening, hey, audio Bible. Or, you know, Bible apps that will do the reading out to you. Read aloud, right, kind of features. Do it. Just have it there. I used to go to sleep at one point in time. I used to go to sleep with the Bible playing, the audio Bible playing. I would just leave it on a timer and then go to bed. I would just fall asleep so peacefully. I, I was like, this is great. No sleeping pill, no you know, thinking about this. I would just put the Bible on audio and oh, I would go to sleep. Right? And I, do whatever you need to, but get into the Word of God. Start to read it. Start to get it in you. Let the Word of God inform your thinking. Let the Word of God be coming out of your mouth. Every time you have, and again, this is tying back to our relationships, every time you have an opportunity to speak to somebody else and it, it feels like it's just about to bubble over into some conflict, oh, instead of that word coming, wouldn't it be much better if the Word of God came out of your mouth? If the Word of grace came out of your mouth? If the word of peace came out of your mouth, if the word of comfort came out of your mouth, if the word of the gospel came out of your mouth, that we would speak the word of God to each other, that we would encourage one another, and we would say, oh, I'm standing with you. I'm with you. I don't have resources. I don't have silver or gold, but such as I have, I give to you. Oh, here's the word. Here's the word. We don't have to worry about all the other things going on around us. We're not alarmed. We're not overcome. We're not, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll go against all the trends and all the percentages and the statistics. Hey, our, our youth group, nobody's a dropout. But you know what? That's not the main point. The main point is that we would have the Lord who sees our hearts, who knows where we are, and will be able to say to us, well done. Well done. The seed that is sown in you has borne good fruit. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your word that is living and active. We thank you, Lord, that it has power to transform our lives even now. And it will continue to transform our lives. It has that power even for the future. This is not a dead word. This is not a, a myth. This is not a story about the past. It is the living word that, Lord, allows us to live with purpose, on mission, to fulfill 
your will. So I pray, Father, that we, just as Paul and Barnabas here, and Lord, even as we continue to read in future chapters, Lord, as they emphasize, as, as your children emphasized living by the word of God, I pray that we as a church will apply. We'll look at what we need to do and we'll say, Lord God, you help us. You guide us. You direct our steps. And you enable us, Lord, to live according to the word of God. We ask this in Jesus' name.